The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I am here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampiche. Good morning, Dr. Grampiche. Good morning, Shannon. How are you? I am thrilled. I, I, I just, every, every time they see us, we're in different backgrounds and I just want to update everybody that now, now we have Dr. Doreen on site and, and soon we hope to be actually in the studio, but we are not yet in the studio. Somebody told me the other day, hey, your studio looks great. This is not the studio. This is just office and, and that's conference room. So there we go. So thrilled that you guys are here with this morning. I got to give some shout outs to people writing in. Uh, Kaigen, who's writing in from Holland. Hello. Ka is here with us. Amanda is here with her blue hearts. Rhea is here uh, and says that her son is doing better, not biting. Yay. Hallie is here. We're so thrilled that all of you are here. And Rhea is here. And I also, I think I saw that Tara is here and that Christine is here. So, so thrilled that all of you are here. The chat is now open. If you guys want to write in and say good morning, we, we can, and, uh, we can see what you guys are writing in. There's Liliana. We're going to be with you for the next hour live, and Dr. Grampiche is going to be answering your questions in this format. If you don't know Dr. Doreen, ooh, today's your lucky day because uh, she's amazing. She is a, an amazing expert in the field of autism, and I believe the preeminent expert in our time. She is brilliant. She sees our, our, all of our loved ones and our and us as individuals, and that's really important. And gives wonderful super information. Everybody's writing in. I love that. We're going to get to some of these questions in just a second. I do want to tell everybody that Dr. Grampiche has been working in this field for more than 40. Yes, I said 40, 40, not 14 years. I know last week you guys were writing in and going, how can she look like she's in her 20s and do that? I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> I do not yet have an answer for it. But um, in any case, we're thrilled that she has been working in this field. She's worked with very young babies up through senior citizens and everything in between. She's not frightened by any question you might ask, but there we do have the asterisk here that there is no expert that can give individual specific advice in this particular format. That would be a disservice to you and to the individual who is on the spectrum. But other than that, write in with your questions right now. The chat is moving faster than I can. It's dizzying, but that's great. We love that. Don't we, Dr. Grampiche? Yes, yes, I love it. It's wonderful. I'm very happy and welcome everyone. And I look forward to getting to some of these questions. Yes, yes, yeah. here we go. So uh, I want to start off with Hallie wrote in first and said, I'm looking for some help. I'm a single mom raising a four year old on the spectrum. And uh, uh, Hallie, I haven't had Haley. a second. To I think she wrote later and said it's pronounced Haley. Haley, I am so sorry. Uh, so Haley, uh, I, I want to see if you have written in and given us more information and, uh, tell us what it is in particular that you'd really like the most information about this morning. Cause we want to spread some love on you. We, we love the moms, right? We had a great dad on yesterday, Dr. Grampiche. We love the moms. We love the dads, but, um, be as specific as possible. Okay. I uh, uh, also want to thank all of you for writing in the compliments saying that uh, Rhea said, I love your show. I feel not alone. That's absolutely wonderful. Okay. But Janet has said, good morning. I need help finding living accommodations for my 28 year old son. I want to know, first of all, where Janet lives. Uh, do we want to wait for that information, Dr. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very difficult. And, and I'm not sure even if we knew where she lives, we could, you know, right away give some ideas about housing, but we can certainly try to help. It's it's not easy uh, to find housing for adults. I'm always trying to push for more adult services and there's just not enough. Yeah. 
but it, I, it really, um, there are, there are some pockets of places where we are aware of people who have information. Um, and that's where I would want to direct you. So write back and tell us where you are, Janet. Uh, okay. Zah, good morning to you. Honey says, hi there. My son is four and he can comment and answer questions, but still can't ask questions. He engages with adults, but doesn't accept kids at all. He blacks out the kids, doesn't respond to them. Yeah. And I think, uh, I saw another, uh, from one from Zah, I think where she said she had tried, or was it Zah or, or Honey? Funny. Honey had said she tried pairing with cousins. Honey, let's talk about kind of this uh, whole process of uh, getting our kids to, to, first of all, you're asking two different things. Like we want to make sure your child is uh, paying attention or aware of other kids and uh, inter- interested in other kids. And then we want to tell you kind of how to get that going or how to help make that happen. So he's, first of all, your child's at the point where they're answering questions, which is great. So congratulations. And that's a big milestone to pass. But there are specific lessons. Like when I was writing the card program, one of the lessons we had was kind of the, just the question answer um, question where you would start with very, very basic questions um, and, you know, it's a whole different thing if you're making a statement or asking a question. There's a lot of different things about it, uh, you know, not just asking a question, but the intonation when you ask a question is a little bit different. So uh, you you initially just prompt him. And I'm wondering and hoping and assuming that you have an ABA program in place And if you do, then you essentially, these are, the lessons are actually called statement statements. And the second lesson is called statement question, um, where you will model for your child how to ask a basic question. And let me tell you, usually when our kids get the idea, the concept that they can ask a question, it becomes like a barrage of questions (laughs) because now it's a whole new thing. It's a new I guess, tool that they have where they can ask you something and then they get you to interact. So the very next thing that has to happen is to teach them to actually wait for the answer and then to not ask a million questions. Like I do have children who have, uh, unfortunately, they think the only way to communicate or interact is to ask questions. So this will come, it's part of programming. Let us know if you have an ABA program in place. If you don't, you're at a very advanced level now. You're starting to get into kind of advanced communication. And I really do recommend that you have some people who are have some expertise in uh, teaching these lessons um, so that you don't make a lot of mistakes as you're teaching this whole process of what which is basic social communication and that brings me to the second part of your question which is you know why is he not interested in other kids and you know it's interesting because a lot of our kids become more comfortable with adults because the adults cater to them right when they're starting to communicate the adult is very concerned very worried very like aware and trying to just make sure that you're, they're rewarding. That's like one thing another child won't do. Adults, if our child responds correctly, adults will usually be like, wow, that's right. That's great. And you can't see another child doing that, right? So there's a lot of difference between how we communicate with adults and how we communicate with children. And as a child, it's more rewarding to communicate with adults. But the way that you do it is not... I appreciate that you brought the cousins in and familiarity definitely helps. But I think what you need to do is take one cousin, preferably, and I think you wrote that it's a four-year-old child. I think preferably you're looking for, let's say, a six or seven-year-old girl cousin uh, alone um, who will come to the house and you will spend uh, some time doing some very, very kind of uh, pre-organized lessons or programs. You don't, they won't play if you just kind of throw them together. 
So the seven-year-old becomes your, you know, someone part of the therapy team in that sense. And you give them some very basic uh, interactions that they can do. And it can be basic things in the beginning, like the uh, little girl can say, come on, let's go and play together, or let's go and, uh, you know, go on the swings, or uh, this is my doll, and just promote some interaction. And the, the seven, usually, the reason I'm asking for a seven-year-old girl is that there's a lot of like six or seven-year-old girls that love being teacher. And so it's fun for them too. So you'll do some very basic like imitation. Let's do this. Let's run. Let's do, or like they'll show your child like picture cards and ask questions about them, that kind of thing. Then gradually as your child becomes kind of feels a little bit more safe and feels like their interactions with this other child are uh, rewarding, which they have to be, you have to make sure they are. Then you can start in integrating some of the more advanced lessons, like um, you know, answering questions and asking questions. And it's a very, very gradual series of lessons. You're at the point though where your focus should be on things like social communication. And social communication, I say it like that, but honestly, it's like you know, 10 different lessons lead to social communication. It's not one thing that you teach. And Shannon, as we, you know, as we get more and more people coming on our show, it just becomes really clear to me that a lot of people are um, asking for or are in need of a lot more detail having to do with lessons. So I'm wondering if like there's some other venue where we can start to just talk about individual lessons, you know, because like if I was to start talking about social communication right now, take up the rest of the hour. Yeah. So we kind of have to figure out how to answer because a lot of the questions are asking about specific lessons. I have an idea. And, and so perhaps we can meet about that today. Um, but I love this and I love your advice about, you know, what we call that. We, you, you were looking for the seven-year-old girl. Uh, we call that in our family, the bossy gut girl. Yes. I, was a, I was a bossy gut girl. Um, you know, the girl who comes into the party and says, let's play this. And, yes. and assigns everybody a role and says, you be the dog and I'll be the mom. And then five minutes later, when she sees that playing the dog is fun, she goes, no, I want to be the dog now. <laughs> and that Those are the best kids at this phase. And there's yeah. always one in your class. Um, and I know you did write in and say, honey, that your child is the only one of the cousins who isn't going to school yet. And that can be really hard. But, you know, sometimes if you look around in, among your friends or if you're going, if you take him to a class or something, you'll find that bossy gut girl. And I'll tell you something, when you invite the bossy gut girl to the play date, that mom will cling to you because nobody else wants the bossy gut girl at their party, at their play date, anything. So she will be thrilled that you want the bossy gut girl to come. And the bossy gut girl is like a therapist in training. They are, <laughs> they're the best thing right. ever. But everybody else finds them annoying at that age. Uh, so mom will be happy to pawn her off on you. And I, I, I love you. You had us doing this with our son and, and it was amazing because before that he was an only kid. Why yeah. did he want to be with the other kids? Because when yeah. you're with the other kids, they demanded attention. Right. But then what we did, because you told us to, we heavily reinforced not only the bossy gut girl, but our son like whatever the treat was that he wanted, like we would always go through the in and out drive through. That was the big thing. Um, you know, go, so there was a, like a, a food treat that they got for playing well together. They got to do something that they didn't typically get to do. And suddenly he wanted that. He wanted more yeah. play dates. He, it mattered to him. And, and right. you slowly build from there. So absolutely amazing. I want to get back to Haley. Uh, uh, yes, Haley, I got it right that time, I think. Um, who wrote in earlier and said single mom, and she gave us a little bit more information and um, she's feeling very overwhelmed. I'm just going to consolidate Haley and then tell me if I got anything wrong. She feels a little suffocated and, and she doesn't have a big family. So she doesn't have a whole lot of support. She's got some PTSD. She's a recovering addict says that her child absolutely saved her life, but she's afraid to discipline him 
because she's afraid that she'll do it too much. Um, and she says, I really need to find some peace. Um, yeah. But she says she has some anger issues and afraid of disciplining him uh, because she doesn't want to lose control and get too upset. So first of all, we're sending you hugs and telling you you're doing an amazing job. And, but, and, and also, can I say that her biggest question is about CB, CBDT and tinctures? Okay. So Haley, I, there's a bunch of stuff I want to tell you and I need you to find in your area, some sort of support. First of all, like you can, if you were in the LA area, I know that the Ed Asner center family center has a really good community center. You need some sort of community center where, uh, you know, I know that there's also a lot of like centers that are like, uh, you know, Jew in the Jewish community, there's a lot, you might want to ask your church or I don't know what your religion is, but there are support, uh, communities that are there just there so that you, uh, you know, in case you need a place of people who are willing to just step in and help because you, it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm a trained behaviorist. I'm a licensed psychologist. I know what I'm doing with kids with autism. I've been working with them for years and years. And if it was me and I was alone and I had a child on the spectrum, I wouldn't be able to handle it alone. So it's not about you. It's just a very, very big job and you need support. So my first advice to you is to try to find that village who's going to be there for you. So that's super, super important. Because once you have that, you are less likely to get angry, less likely to lose it because there are people who are helping you, uh, you know, yourself, helping you. It's not just about helping you with your child. It's about helping you feel supported, helping you feel like you can handle this, helping you feel like, you know, the anxiety is not going to be uh, taking over your life. So, um, and especially if you are a re recovering addict, it's a big deal because as you know, so we go back to addictions in order to uh, self-medicate. And I don't want you to get to that point. And, and you noted also that you have PTSD. So I want you to find a group of people, a community that's super important that will be there to help you support you. The second thing is that you need to see a psychiatrist and take care of your own needs. As I said, you cannot take care of your child. There's always, whenever I'm on a plane, uh, Shannon, and they said, you know, they say, put your own mask on before you help your child. It's the opposite of our instincts as parents, because we're always trying to take care of our kids before ourselves, but you have to take care of yourself first. And without that, it's just not going to work. You're not going to survive it. So you need to find a psychiatrist who will help you and give you medication. Fortunately, uh, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SNRIs that also control norepinephrine, are very, very helpful with anxiety and depression. Extremely helpful. When you find the right medication, uh, you are not anxious. It's just that simple. You take the medication. It doesn't change your personality. It doesn't change anything about you. It just helps you feel less worried all the time. And that is extremely empowering because you're not any longer in a kind of ongoing panic mode. And now you're like, okay. I'm, today is another day I can handle this. And then that's when your mind starts to work. And then you start to figure out and organize things in a way that you can live and you can handle it. And honestly, if you do those two things, you'll see that there, it'll be a huge change for you. Now, once you're there and you're, you want to figure out what to do with your child, I suggest, and there are a lot of ABA organizations around the country now, and also health insurance covers ABA. So I really would suggest that you try to get your child in an ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis Program, 
because not only will your child significantly benefit from having ABA, uh, but it'll be a, a you know time for you that you don't have to worry about your child. They're in their ABA center and they're also getting ready for life and they're getting ready for school. So that is definitely the best thing to do. But one thing at a time, the first thing I want you to do is try to just get some support from maybe the church or your whatever your religious affiliation is or a, a community center. And perhaps if you write in, we might know of some depending on where you are and we can certainly help with that. Uh, you're on mute, Shannon. She did write in, sorry about that. She did write in and say that she's in Utah and I don't know where in Utah, Utah is a big state, but I know there's a relatively new center at the Utah Valley University. It's called the Melissa Nellison Center for Autism. And I know there's a wide variety of services that they offer there. Um, and I, including you asked about tinctures and things like that. I know, I know that they even, they talk about ABA there and they're trying to unite. I, I, I only know about this center because we followed it in the news. And um, I have some friends who teach at that university. But I, I don't I, I don't have firsthand information about the center itself, but I know it's a very eclectic approach, that there is ABA there, that there is help for both providers and parents and individuals on the spectrum. Um, and, and I know that they even talk about oils there, but it's not the only thing, but they're not closed-minded to it, is I guess what I want to say. Because we covered the fact that millions of dollars were given to the center by one of the two, I just don't remember what, which one of the two oils companies that are in Utah that fight it out all the time. One of them donated a lot of money to that uh, particular center. So if you're near Orem, that might be a place to start. I believe that they have counseling there as well. And she did write in and say that CBT, CBT ends up being the thing that helps her the most. Um, but I, I hope that you will find that network I know that it's available in Utah. There are a lot of parents in Utah. Utah used to be the, the state that was rated last for autism services, and they got very busy with making sure. And now I think they are, are right up there in the top 10 of states that have services for autism. So uh, take a look at what's close to you. I want to shift now to Zara that wrote in to us, uh, but she says, I'm Zara from London with two children on the spectrum. My son is two and he squeezes things, in particular her hands. Can you talk a little bit about that, Dr. Grampy Shea, and whether that's something to be concerned about? No, you know, it's, and, and good morning, Zara. Um, I, or if you're in London, I guess good evening. Um, <laughs> the, there, it's nothing to be concerned about. You know, this is the thing with autism. It's, it, it's different. And we're not necessarily trying to change everything about the individual who has autism. We're just trying to teach them how to acclimate to, like, you know, life. So it's nothing to be scared of. There are differences. There are things that are different because our kids have very different sensory needs, and usually the squeezing thing has to do with a sensory input need. Um, I have a child, for instance, right now, and you can accommodate that. I'm going to give you a few examples. But, uh, you know, I have a child right now who is um, bites. He's biting people. And we know that it's not out of anger. We kind of know that it's because he's teething, Right. And so the only way that he can he's learned is sort of to just like get get your hand and like really gnaw down on it, your arm, because, you know, the sensation of teething is what's bothering him. So we got him a chewy toy, you know, like those things that are for teething, actually. And we have every time he attempts to go for your to your arm, we replace it with the chewy toy. And over the course of about a month, he has come to realize that when he has that sensation, he should actually take the chewy toy. So we offer it to him, he gets it. And now we're actually putting it on his belt as something that like will be in his pocket and that gradually he can use it himself. So it's a process. And of course, like later on when he doesn't need it anymore, we'll eliminate it. 
But everything, so like with your child, squeezing might be something that gives him a sense, the sensation that he needs. So, and you don't want him necessarily squeezing your hands. So just get him one of those squoosh balls. I don't, I'm sure you have something similar in London. Um, They're just, they're for people who want to exercise their muscles, right? They're just like a little bit harder to squeeze. And every time he tries to squeeze, just give him one of those and replace it so that he can do that. Eventually, obviously, if he keeps doing that for a long period of time, you can, he will be able to do it in his hands, in his pockets. Now, a lot of people squeeze their hands and fists when they're anxious. So, you know, and, and Shannon, did she say how old the child is? Two. He's just a baby. He's just a baby. So let's give him a little bit of time and let's see if he continues to need to do this. But it's not something, it's probably more sensory and not neurological. So there's nothing really there for you to worry about at this point. Um, Boy, sorry. Uh, Ka had written in earlier and wanted to know uh, what what your opinion is of private schools that are perfectly set up for autism, ideally set up for autism, because here's the good news. Ka had written into us the last couple of weeks and said she was getting ready to go to an IEP. She's fighting hard. She said, uh, I fought for my son to get an IEP and, um, that's an independent educational evaluation for those of you. I, I just realized I was throwing jargon around like it was nothing. <laughs> didn't want to do that. And services missed. And they got an advocate as well as an attorney, and they were offered two years at a private school designed for kids on the spectrum. So first of all, everybody, you know, do whatever, do the Humpty, whatever it is that you want to do for Ka, because that's amazing, Ka. That doesn't just grow off of trees. That's the hard work that you did. But now she wants to know, is that a good thing? Is that something that you would recommend a private school for autism? And that's, and that there's the point. I'm not sure. I don't know. So this is a very important moment where you will need to go and observe. There are pros and cons. So let's talk about those a little bit right here. And it depends on your child. Every child is a little bit different. If you're, if, you know, let's say you start by going in and observing the school. If the school is chaotic and understaffed, forget it. You're done. That's that. Uh, because the number one thing about being in an environment with other children who are all on the spectrum is that they will have their own challenging behaviors. Every child will. And so now your child will be exposed to a library of new challenging behaviors that he or she might imitate. So that's the downside to a school that is specifically only for kids on the spectrum. The upside is that there are also schools, like I've visited some schools, um, for instance, Ernie Els has a private school in Florida, which is awesome. And you go there and it is extremely rich in the sense that every child has their own therapist. There's a lot of fantastic resources available. There's just, it's a beautiful setup. And it's like, people are really, really uh, attending to the kids, teaching them individually. And it's wonderful. And, and also there are things that only a school that is for kids with autism would do. For instance, it is sensory sensitive, those types of things, right? So if it's a very, you know, high resource type of environment, then great. That's wonderful. And you should take a look at it and consider how your child might do in there. Um, but again, it has to do with the child, right? So if it's a child who is at the level where they're very high functioning, and I think, I'm, I'm not sure, but I kind of feel like I've read before that you have a child who is very high functioning. And if I'm right, then you probably want your child around other typically developing kids, neurotypical kids, because ideally your child would then learn to mingle, learn to adapt to normal social rules. Uh, they will generalize, they will behave like the other typically developing kids. So in that sense, what they've offered you is more restrictive than going to a regular education school with an aide. 
So you kind of like usually in the past, we used to say like, okay, so special ed is good for certain kids. But then at, at a certain point when our kids are ready, ready to integrate and ready to kind of, you know, socialize with neurotypical kids, then it's too restrictive. And the child has to move into a regular education program. And then we will have an aid with the child. And not all, sometimes our kids are so high functioning or have learned so much that even putting an aid in there is a little too much. And we will put an aid in there, but it'll be an unknown aid. So it'll be someone that the child doesn't even realize is there just for them. And so the person will act like they're just shadowing and helping the teacher and helping other kids. So there's this process of wanting our child to be supported, but not overly coddled, right? And we want our child to learn how to be independent. And so this is a gradual process. So go see the school. If the school is where you feel like your child fits in right now, great. If it's not, go back and say, no, I'm sorry, this isn't what I asked for. I asked for you, district, to pay for a shadow, a one-to-one aid. So she did write back and say that she did observe, she went in and observed, and it's amazing, especially for my son with a lot of sensory needs. He will have three kids in his class. That Mm -hmm. is an AAC classroom. As my son uses an AAC device, he will have an aid as well as an RBT. He will have a sensory room, a gym with bikes and scooters and games. My son has a lot of sensory, so this is amazing for him. My son is level three, limited language. Then this is perfect, Carbon. It sounds to me like you are actually in the right place. And that's wonderful. And go in and, you know, if he's thriving, then I think you will need to go back and fight for more than just two years. There we go. And and when you show them how effective it is, you'll have the ideal fight to to get the two years. Congratulations, Ka. That happened because you worked it. You worked hard and stood up for your child. So give yourself a rah-rah. Johanny wrote in and said that she needs a bossy gut girl. We all need a bossy gut girl. Can I just say that? But she also said, hi, Dr. Doreen, our nine-year-old son who is not affected uh, by autism very much, he still needs assistance. He was discharged from ABA speech and OT, but as a skills global user, he still needs help. Can we hire an RBT to do telehealth with a card provider? We're in Pennsylvania and the closest card center is over an hour away in New Jersey. I don't, I'm not aware. Can they hire uh, telehealth through CARD still? Are they still doing that? No. So CARD is very, from what I hear, and and like I want our viewers to know that I'm not very involved with CARD anymore, right? So I I sold most of my shares of CARD and I only own 25% of the company now. But So I'm a board member of CARD, but I'm not very involved with the day-to-day operations. And what I want you guys to know is that they are pretty overwhelmed And I am pretty sure that if they have any BCBAs, they're using them for their own patients and not necessarily um, letting them do out services. But I don't think you need that. I think what you need is, yes, get a good behavioral therapist, like an RBT or a BCAT. And once you have that, uh, just yourself, because you have skills, that's all really all you need at this point. Um, So what you will do is you'll just have the RBT look at the skills progression and programs and work on those particular lessons that your child needs. And that's wonderful. And, and, you know, we have a lot of parents across the country who would use skills and would just do it themselves and would hire people who were not even RBTs or BCBAs, and they would get on another website, which is called IBT, Institute for Behavioral Training, which is also CARD-owned, and they would learn the behavioral techniques, and then they would take these lessons and administer them. So at this point in your life, what you're doing is like like tutoring, and you're teaching additional lessons. So yes, you should progress. And also, by the way, if you're an ABA provider stopped maybe they shouldn't i mean like you should if you feel like your child needs services go back to your uh payer your health insurance and say listen my child still needs has needs they're not you know they still have uh various things they need to learn 
Yeah. I, and she wrote back in and said, I think she was just ready to discharge him and is working with younger kids now. And that her previous RBT was not a fan of following skills. Cause I think it does take a little time for RBTs that aren't used to doing skills. It takes a little bit of time for them to transition and realize what an amazing tool it is, but they, you know, it, it takes a, a while before people see that, but, but I'll bet, I'll bet you could, if you just want some support, I'll bet, I'll bet there are people who are familiar with skills who would freelance, I, I, you know, uh, you could reach out to me and, and, um, you know, maybe, maybe I can think of somebody, but, um, I want to tell you that you're doing a great job because all the things that you have going on, what an amazing thing that you've done that he's doing so well. That's, that's the amazing thing. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with questions here, but I want to get to some dads here. Brian wrote in and said, my son with medium high functioning ASD has a wealth of words and comprehension, but it's bottled up until often until something he is fixated on fills his thoughts. Hence he achieves things and reads or creates with crafts. And then they, the parents become very congratulatory with all this high praise, but that's their mistake, number one, because their response can be too dramatic and not normal. And boom, then it's too much stimulation and there's an immediate meltdown and anger. And suddenly everything shuts down for 40 minutes and that there, he becomes, the, the, his son becomes angry and shrieking um, and that sometimes there is aggressive behavior. There's more um, and that he, the and problem I don't know whether this is part of the same problem that then he'll remain silent and neutral and somewhat punitive without projecting no care and mom and dad are not a safe place. Hard, hard because our almost five-year-old can unravel on a dime. I'm just sending you a hug because my son did not ever like it when I raised my my voice above a conversational thing. So if I would go, good job, he would completely lose it. But for him... He could have a therapist next to him who would just be like bouncing off the walls and it was totally fine. He just couldn't handle it from me. And yeah. I'm a big, I'm a bossy gut girl in a big mouth. Now we've, now we're clear on who I am. Um, but I would want to do that effusive praise. And I had to learn to go, that's so cool. And, <laughs> and whisper it. And it was hard for me because that's not who I am. Yeah. But when it's both of you, that's extra hard. So I'm sending you some love right now. So there's actually a couple of things that are very, it's a great question, Brian, first of all, because you are bringing to light the actual definition of what a reinforcer is. So in behavioral terminology, it's really interesting. We don't think of reinforcers as good things, right? Like normal, in normal life, we think reinforcer equals like the things that we all like. And that's not the way it is, especially in in the world of autism, because some of the things that we consider to be good things or things we like are actually punishment for our kids. And this is a great example. So um, reinforcers in the behavioral language are things that increase behavior, which basically means that they just have to be things that are very specifically rewarding to your child. Not to you, not to me, not to anyone else, but to your child. So the way to look at it is, and and so we ask ourselves, what could possibly be causing this? First of all, it could just be that from a sensory perspective, it's too overwhelming. So it's too loud. It just it's it, it's very like overwhelming, and he becomes startled when you guys do this. And even though your intent is to reward him and tell him how well he did and praise him, it's just too overwhelming and too too startling, right? So from a sound and sensory perspective, it could also be, as it was in Shannon's case, it could just be that because parents, when parents, what's the, if you think about it, if in, in a typical day, the time that you become very loud or very, uh, I guess, an- hyper animated is usually if you are angry or scared. And our kids read that. When you get scared, when you as a parent get scared, you will raise your voice and you'll be panicking and going pretty fast. 
When you get angry, you will raise your voice and you will be going pretty fast. And our children read the common theme, which is they are louder and going pretty fast. And they get scared because they can't tell, they can't figure out that it's the difference between, oh no, right now you're happy with me, as opposed to back then you were angry or you were afraid. And so they, it's just, it's too much. Now with a stranger, like Shannon said, it, they can probably tell because the stranger raising their voice, there is no history of the stranger getting mad at them or getting scared. So they don't have that to fall back on. So I think it's very, very important that you find other ways of reinforcing your child. And believe me, there are, there are ways. You just have to find them. Sometimes it could be, as Shannon said, you just lower your voice and that works. Sometimes it could be they need touch or for some kids, touch may be aversive. Sometimes it could be you backing off might be a reinforcer. And sometimes you just need to go to, you know, like a, just a high five or just non-social reinforcers, such as giving the child access to a favorite toy or a food or something like that. One of my kids that my child who's I'm working with right now, uh, honestly, within the course of a month, just a month or so, he went from needing a food reinforcer for every correct response to now he is on a 10 sticker token system for the same amount of food reinforcer. So he has to earn 10 stickers before he can get a small piece of, of cookie and it works. And so like, don't worry about it if you're back to giving your child tangible reinforcers like food, because you can very easily replace them with token systems. But it is super, super, super important that you have a way of rewarding your child that is the positive to them. So play around with it. There we go. Janet, who had written in at the start of the show and said she was looking for a place for her 28-year-old to live, wrote back and said that she's in California. So here's the thing with that, Janet. There, you know, it's there are so many places in California that it's great because it becomes specific about what specifically does your son need. What I'd love to have you do is write to me. Um, so my email is Shannon at autism-live.com. Tell me a little bit about where you live and what kinds of needs you're like, how much support does he need? Because there's everything from colleges where they can go and live away that are funded by the regional center to um, assisted living situations where they're in a home with maybe three adults that are, have uh, different uh, needs. And there's a couple that takes care of them and everything in between. So please feel free to write to me and let's see if we can't hook you up with um, some good resources there. Uh, yes, can I just go back yeah. to Brian's second um, text, which has to do with like mom and dad being a safe place? You guys, you can always build that up again. It doesn't matter what experience the child has had. So don't be sad about that. All you have to do is, you know, do start doing the things that the child likes, perhaps like have a cozy time with the child where you are cuddling and uh, you know, reading a book or playing music or giving the child a food of their choice uh, and associate yourself with those reinforcers. It's pretty fast to do. And please don't be sad. We have enough hardship going on when we're working with our kids and trying to take care of everything. Don't guilt yourself. Uh, you've done nothing wrong uh, by trying to celebrate your child's uh, achievements um, and you've learned. And so move on. And and now you will reestablish that safe, positive place that you are for your child. Yeah. And when you find out what your child's love language is and can connect with them, exactly. it's so gratifying. And exactly. there there are times now where we do the silent happy dance, you know, when, when things mm -hmm. are big and, and I, or I'll just rub my son's back and it's become how I communicate with him. It's become special how I communicate with him. So you will find the way, Brian. Uh, Mohammed has written in and said, hello, ladies. My son tends to throw toys when he gets angry. When I place a demand or say no to something, he's getting mad and throwing. I'm trying different ways to stop it as it's increasing. 
how can we help? So thank you for writing in, Mohammed. This is very, very important. So think about this. Your son, you place the demand, your son throws or otherwise expresses his anger, and you back off. And so what your child learns, and every norm, every, every single human being, this is normal learning, would learn that throwing is a good way to communicate, I don't want to do what you just asked me to do, um, or I'm not happy that you said no. So your child's communication becomes effective, um, and that is where the mistake is. You never want your child to learn that doing a challenging behavior will get them out of something or will get them to keep something, right? So what you were doing first was correct. You were telling your child, you were telling, placing a demand on the child. Like, I don't know what the demand would be, but whatever. Like, you know, uh, it's time to go or we need to, you know, look at me or whatever your demand is. Um, follow through and make sure that that demand is fulfilled and that your child, by throwing a tantrum or throwing an object, does not get to avoid the demand, okay? So if I were you, I would try to make sure that there are no toys around, like in reaching distance when I'm placing a demand. So I would take the child away from the toys and place the demand. I would just hold him separately and place the demand and kind of prevent the child from accessing the toys that he can uh, throw at you. And if you are also, if he's trying to get away from doing something, just motor him through it. You, In other words, you never want your child's challenging behavior to be a successful way of getting out of the thing that you ask them to do. You can help them, you can prompt them, but you cannot give up the thing that you just asked them to do. There we go. And uh, you guys asked for my email again. It's shannon at autism-live.com. And somebody sent me an email, but can you check it? It looks like it might be an incorrect email. Um, so check it for me again and, and let me know if that is correct. We had somebody who wrote in a couple of weeks ago and we've been trying to get to this question forever, who says, I have a four-year-old going to be five in June, a five-year-old going to be six in June. I live in San Diego. I'm having the hardest time getting them tested as soon as possible to get the help that they have been so sorely needing. They have an appointment six months out at the Radies Children's Hospital. Can anything be done sooner? I'm homeschooling them. I need help as soon as possible, please, and thank you. Well, I do have, I know a psychologist who can probably fit you in relatively fast for testing, and her name is Dr. Betty Bastani, B-O-S-T-A-N-I. She is, however, in the West LA area. And if you want her information, I'm sure Shannon, I can get it to you. And if they write into you, we can provide that information. Um, but it is very difficult. I know there's a lot of people. And there's also a really, really good program at Children's Hospital in Orange County, uh, where one of my dear interns, uh, Gina Yang, is now working. And it's a fabulous, fabulous assessment center. So that's another place that I would try to get into. But I know, Shannon, it's awful. It's like... Testing is really delayed all over the country. Yeah, Very COVID. It was always hard, and then COVID did us no favors whatsoever. And I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm so sick and tired of hearing people say that they can't deliver services because of COVID. It's yeah. like, it, you know, how long have we been doing this? I, I want people to find answers. Um, but you know, I, I love that you've got one on the books because six months goes by incredibly fast. But I'm, I, I want you to try to get something sooner. Uh, so please feel free to reach out to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com, and I will make sure that you get the, the resource that Dr. Grand Pichet just said. Now, Ems wrote in to us from Germany, and we want to say hi to Ems. Uh, they write in and say, my daughter is four. She is clever, can read and count, but she can, can't speak a lot. And she squeezes her arms, mom's arms, 
until bleeding. Is there any way to reduce hand flapping or to find an alternative for her? Um, So there's a lot there. I, I personally, I'm much more concerned about the squeezing the arms until bleeding than the hand flapping. Um, I don't know anybody who's ever, I, you can, hand flapping can get in the way of other things that you want to do, but I don't know anybody who's been hurt by hand flapping, but if you're squeezing until the arms bleed, that would be first on my list. Yeah. And I can't, unfortunately, Ems, I cannot tell you the intervention without knowing the function of the squeezing. So, and let me talk about that a little bit. We've got, 10 minutes, Shannon, I think left. And I'll, I'll just talk about the functions of behavior because I think that's important and helpful to everyone, maybe. So, you know, I like to break it down to just two things, right? Every behavior that we do, whatever it might be, is to gain something or to avoid something. That's just the way that I look at it, right? Uh, for instance, Shannon and I do this show because we're trying to gain access to followers, because we would what rewards us is being able to help people who call in. That's a reward for us. So we're trying to gain that reward. Uh, you go to work because you are trying to gain money, which on its own is not a reinforcer. It's a token, but you use that money to buy food and take care of your family or whatever it is, right? So that's your reward. You're trying to gain that. Uh, We go to, uh, you know, we go to parties most of the time because we want to gain attention or we want to gain a social reward by hanging out with our friends. So typically the two things that we want to gain are something like a a, a, a tangible or an activity or something uh, or attention. Attention is also a, a reward. And what are some of the things we want to avoid, right? So for instance, uh, same behavior. I go to work and diligently work eight hours a day or however long it is because I'm trying to avoid getting fired. I'm trying to avoid being poor. I'm all of these things, right? So our children go to school because a, some of our kids, uh, love being around other friends. That's their reward of something they want to gain. Um, They also want to gain your approval. A lot of our typically developing kids go to school because, hey, parents uh, expect them to go to school. So the child is not going to stay at home and just say, I refuse to go because they also want to kind of avoid your anger, avoid uh, embarrassment of not being educated like their friends or all of that. So it's Everything has to do with what is the child trying to gain? What is it they're trying to avoid? Now, take those rules and apply it to any of these challenging behaviors. And when your daughter squeezes you to the point that your arms are bleeding, what is it that she is trying to avoid or gain? Is she doing that just because she's trying to gain your attention Is she doing that because like the other parents who had written in, you just placed a demand and she's trying to tell you, I don't want to do this. What would it be that she would vocalize if she could vocalize? Because the main key response, the way you intervene is to make sure that the challenging behavior doesn't work. It doesn't get your child what they're trying to gain first of all, and that you are giving them a better, more adaptive way to communicate whatever it is. So for instance, if the child could be taught, I need a break, okay? Instead of squeezing your arms, they would either do this or they would touch an icon that says break, or they would say, I need a break. Whatever it is that they can do that's more appropriate way of saying, I don't want to do what you just asked me, or a more appropriate way of saying, I need some sort of contact with you right now, right? Whatever it is, there are appropriate ways to teach the communication. And we want to ignore and not allow the inappropriate, the challenging communication to work. I hope, hopefully that makes sense. Is very, very simple, but when you apply it to like, you know, you're in the middle of, 
your arms bleeding or you're in a struggle with your child, there's a million questions that go with it. So please feel free to write in and explain to me like how else I can help you with that particular thing. I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a function here. There's a reason that she does that. Yes. And she wrote in and said that sometimes she does it when she's happy and sometimes she does it when she's upset. Um, so I, it seems like it's a very distinct, uh, sometimes she, so sometimes when she's angry. So, um, th- I'm wondering how much functional communication this precious person has. Has absolutely. Yeah. And we just need to know a little bit more And, you know, a lot of times our parents think that their child is non-communicative or like non-vocal and therefore they have to allow these behaviors. No, not at all. You can use icons, you can use pictures. There are non-communicative, vocal ways of communicating what we want. Wonderful. And I also want to say, Karen wrote in and said, this is so helpful, but I have to go to work. Can I watch a replay? We have a child five engages in deep pressure, humping. He will stop when told to, but then straight away starts again. I want everybody to know that this show is available after it's live. It is available on our YouTube channel in its entirety. Our entire library is there. So you can go back and watch 11 years of Ask Dr. Doreen there. And you don't have to like just sit and watch the whole thing. There, if you if you go to autismnetwork.com at the top, there is an icon that says search by topic. And if you go into there and, and put in your topic, you can either search by letter or you can put in uh, a search like potty training. It will show you all of the videos, the questions that she's been asking. It's not entirely up to date, but we're getting it more up to date. But you, you know, there's a good solid, uh, you know, 10 years there that you can go and search and it'll, the question will be, my child is 12 and, you know, smears feces. You And you might go, well, that's not the one for me, but you go to the next one and say, my child can pee in the potty, but can't poop. And then you can hear what Dr. Grampuche, you just click on it yeah. and it goes right to that video. I also didn't say at the start of the show that we're doing an experiment this week, Dr. Grampuche, that um, normally we this art uh, this show is a podcast it's available wherever you can download your any podcast and it's available for free we are doing a test this week to see because we we have our video podcasts are all available on youtube and we've made the the podcast available to you in either video or uh in the audio only because many of you like to take us in the car with you and go with it so this week we're doing an experiment to see and let us know if we're ticking you off, but we're only making the audio podcasts available on the podcast platforms. And we're asking you if you want to watch the video to go to YouTube. Now, if that, if you complain, we will hear and listen to that, but we'd like to know if that works for you guys. It's actually uh, a huge time saving for us, plus which it's, it's a huge saving for us to be able to spend the money that we, that the podcasters charge us to do the video on other things. So please let us know if that works for you. If that doesn't work for you, we're going to be watching the data to see (laughs) how that works for you guys. So, uh, but do check out our YouTube channel. It's very easy. Go to youtube.com slash autism live. It's all there. All of it is there. Not only the Ask Dr. Dream, but everything that we've ever done ever uh, truly there. So uh, and also, we, Shannon, um, since we are out of time, I just want to say, and we got so many questions today, and yeah. I, I love them, I welcome them. <clears throat> Please let me know. Also, I'm answering a lot of questions on TikTok. Just ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. If there's anything that we didn't get to here, or if you want to talk about more details, just shoot, um, go into TikTok and put through a message to me. There we go. So we are out of time, but we thank all of you for being here. And we especially thank Dr. Grampiche, who is just amazing. I don't know if you realize how much it means to so many of us to get to learn from what you know, but it is such a privilege to get to be here with you, uh, with all of you. So um, I thank all of you, and but especially Dr. Grampiche. You're amazing. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And I feel the same way with you, honestly, Shannon. And I think like, uh, not just this show, but all of the shows that you do on Autism Live are incredible and so helpful to so many parents. And 
I love it. And thank you. And I love being a part of it. I'm honored to be a part of it. I appreciate it. Well, we're, we're honored that you get to be here with us. All right. The love fest. Okay. (laughs) Well, we love all of you too. And I don't want to leave without telling all of you, you're doing a good job. Sometimes the day is hard. Sometimes the day is long, but you're showing up for yourself or for your kid or for somebody that you love on the spectrum. That may be you. Um, or it may be somebody else. It's it's not always easy, but I find that it's a, such a worthwhile job. Uh, and and love to Macy, who's saying love y'all. Uh, all right, we'll 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 be back tomorrow, and I want to make sure that you guys are here on Thursday. We've got two amazing authors that are going to be with us on Thursday: Alex Liu and Jason Chase, who is a young uh, musician on the spectrum who is teaching mm. others on the spectrum music. Woo! Uh, I can't wait uh, to talk to these two authors. So we'll be back tomorrow with more Autism Live. And until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye now.